We quote this one often at Arasha, we care for only what we love, we love only what we know, and we truly know only what we experience. If we do not know our place, know it more than a passing, in a passing cursory way, know it intimately and personally, then we are destined to use and abuse it. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. We're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Eric, I feel so privileged that we get to sit with our guests and be really frontline learners from each one. Absolutely, Shalane. And, you know, today I am really looking forward to deepening our understanding of how poverty and creation actually intersect. Yeah, I agree. I would say that in the discussions I have with Canadians about root causes of poverty, particularly connected to four broken relationships, the relationship that is the least understood is the one with creation. Mm -hmm. And that is why we have invited Luke Wilson, who serves as the CEO of Arasha Canada, to help us begin unpacking this and really just so much more. Yes. Thank you, Luke, so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Eric and Shalane. I'm guessing that, you know, I'll start out by saying I'm sure that maybe a few of our listeners are not too familiar with Arasha. And, you know, I, I love how your website says Arasha is changing the way people treat the earth. So maybe, Luke, you could start by just introducing us to Arasha and how you are accomplishing this. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. So you got the name right, Arasha. It means the rock in okay. Portuguese. So we started in Portugal as a small bird field study station uh, back in 1983. Minister from the UK loved birding and uh, engaging local communities and uh, sort of transpired into this expression of showing deep love for a place and the people and the creatures across and around that place. And people got excited about this, uh, I guess you could call it environmental faith expression that, that was pretty unique at that time. And they, they wanted to come visit this little field study center. And that sort of blossomed through the 90s into other projects and expressions of, of something similar around the, the globe. And uh, now we are a global family of local projects and conservation organizations uh, held together by this deep why that comes from a biblical conviction of the mandate to care and show love for God's creation, the gift that God has given us in creation, that Genesis call to tend and to keep that gift. So it's pretty exciting to be part of that story, one that is 20 years old in Canada. So we still feel like we're uh, sort of getting into adulthood as an organization, but pretty thankful to be part of this huge calling and mission that more Christians are waking up to as the world evolves and changes. I'm just curious to follow up on that, Luke, when you say more Christians are waking up to, what would you say we're waking up to? Well, I, I think you referenced this disconnect between relationships, between us and each other, us and God, us and creation. And I think that, as you said, this, this relationship with creation 
at least in in my context in in sort of a southern ontario canadian context i wasn't brought up to have a close and intimate understanding of the place i was in short of the privilege of being able to go to summer camps and spend time in the forest and around mm. the lake um it didn't go much further than that so my own journey is one of a semi-conversion to the realization that the work that God's done in creation is good and the saving work that he's doing isn't just for our souls, it's about all creation. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's what excites us at Arasha. And I think there have been many faith traditions that haven't lost that truth, but certainly in the tradition that I grew up in, uh, there is a reawakening to that deep uh, relationship between us and and God through the relationship with His creation. Luke, I am sure you're aware. The name of our podcast is "Ending Poverty Together," and there may be some listeners who are today tuning in and saying, "Okay, so what does Arasha have to do with poverty?" And we like to ask each of our guests to finish the sentence: "Poverty is." So if you could end that sentence for us and then perhaps help tie together some of these pieces for for us and for our listeners. Yeah, that'd be great. Be happy to do that. Let me start with a theological concept that Arasha cares deeply about and isn't always front and center when we think about a conservation organization, but the idea of placemaking, this concept of humans being in a space and finding meaning through the things we cultivate, the practices uh, we, we practice with each other around food and celebration, hospitality, planting gardens, building cities. Uh, these are all place-making activities. And I think that that's where I want to start with in the connection to poverty. I think that in the context of pursuing sustainability for communities, which I know uh, FH is really passionate about, poverty is a displacement from the land. Mm. Hmm. It's a displacement from the land. Now, this might conjure up images of temporary white tents in the desert or Venezuelans making the arduous trek towards the U.S. border or Syrians uh, moving from the rural lands to cities and then being forced to flee their country across the Mediterranean. Uh, Mm -hmm. These are all recent images that we've seen. And while these circumstances are dire and require consideration, today I actually want to focus on the Canadian context, uh, which I believe will give us that connection and understanding with some of the root causes of poverty. Uh, our connection to it, and how we might be inspired to live lives in solidarities with our neighbors uh, locally and afar. So I, I just like to sort of ask your listeners if they could reflect on the idea of displacement, because it's it's something that we don't typically go, oh, I'm not displaced, or we typically say to ourselves, I'm not displaced. But I have a couple questions for you to reflect on. Can I orient myself to north in my landscape by looking at the stars or the way a tree grows? Do I know what season it is 
based on the bird calls in my area or the plants that are in bloom? When was the last time the cracks of my fingernails were stained dark brown from <laughs> close connection with the living earth? Or the one that's convicting for me and so many of us, uh, how many days a week am I watching Netflix to escape my place? Hmm. Eric, would you like to be the one that answers the question? <laughs> no, Luke, you just keep on talking. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to let those be theoretical. Is that how this goes? Rhetorical <laughs> yeah, mm. no, I've, I've never wrestled with that Netflix one. No. <laughs> <laughs> never, not you me. You can sense the sarcasm there. Um, and, and the last one that uh, is a big concept, but I think a very important concept. When was the last time I thanked God for the way the Sahara Desert or the plankton cycles make it possible for me to breathe. Hmm. So I, I don't want to uh, shame or guilt anyone through these questions, but I, I want to open your imagination for the fact that maybe we are more displaced than we know. Yeah. And I think about our indigenous brothers and sisters who know the wisdom of place mm. as a sacred value. Can you imagine the reconciliation that could take place if, if we listened and learned? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think I, I say all that believing that there's a, a poverty connected to even our Canadian context of displacement. Mm. Luke, I, I appreciate that so much because there is a dailyness to everything that you just said there because mm. I'm sure some of our listeners can, can relate to a feeling that I get sometimes when the, you know, the conversation of creation care, the environment, things of that nature come up in conversation and I just kind of get frozen. I don't know what mm -hmm. to do. I get a mm -hmm. little bit oh my goodness, this is such a big topic. It's just kind of easier to to numb it out or to, to blank it out. But everything that you just said there, while it's convicting in one way, it's what we're all about here. It's, it's bite-sized. It's bringing it mm -hmm. down into tangible daily choices. Frankly, you know, when, when the topic of, of creation care comes up, you know, a lot of people would first think of a topic such as climate change. For those who do ask that question, what are we doing about climate change? What do you want our listeners to know about climate change and how it relates to this conversation that is starting out on such an intimate level in the dailiness of it? Yeah, great question. It's fascinating to go here from an Arasha perspective because we haven't typically pressed into climate change directly. So we would initially focus on conservation, but our leadership has, has in the last few years been realizing climate change is so much at the forefront of people's worries and fears and imagination that we have no choice but to, yeah. to press in and, and talk about it with people. So, uh, you know, I've been doing my own learning and research about climate change. Certainly, I was one of the kids who grew up with uh, a pretty a thorough science background of global warming and how that worked. But I think because of how loaded that term has become, 
Mm-hmm. It's forced new reflection and examination. And in preparing for chatting with the two of you today, I read a book by George Marshall called Don't Even Think About It. And it's mm-hmm. related to climate change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I skimmed a lot of, of it, but I, I landed at the end of the book where he talks about the connection with, with faith and religion. and the fact that we need to learn to connect uh, what's happening in the climate change movement with our faith communities. There's lots that the climate change movement could learn because inherently in this massive concept, we're asking people to endure short-term losses in order to avoid an uncertain long-term cost. And this just is inherently difficult. Hmm. Uh, and, and so it creates tension and it creates fear and it creates worry. And you almost can't even have a conversation around climate change because of this inherent problem. And hmm. what uh, Marshall suggests is that we learn from religious belief and we practice we practice sharing narrative and story. We hmm. practice understanding what images mean. And, and we actually enact behavior and lived experience in order to help us understand a big concept like God. We, we practice it. So instead of these debates about, you know, is the science true? Can I believe it? You know, is it just being leveraged for, for political gain? Why don't we press into some of the stories? Why don't we press into understanding Inuit people who are literally being displaced as the ice retreats and mm. entire communities are are needing to be moved? Let's let's go experience what that looks like and if we can't go there let's let's listen to people who are there and their stories. Let's make space for the doubts and the fears on on one side. Let's make space for the lamenting on the other side. But as people of faith, faith, let's also practice forgiveness and and not blame older generations, but work Mm. together. And then take hopeful action and cooperation with as many stakeholders as we can. So I know that I haven't pressed into anything to describe climate change. I've really just talked about a posture of how we converse about climate change. And I think that's the main message for, you know, how I hope your listeners engage this, you know, just recognize that our faith communities have a lot to offer Mm -hmm. this challenge that is, is one of the biggest planetary challenges of our time. I appreciate your call for the narrative. I think story is such a powerful change agent, potentially, when people can identify with other real people's story. Just wondering, do you have any other examples that you might share along those lines? The Inuit people, the communities that are having to move, can you think of one or two other examples that might just give kind of that that narrative to our listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that the the ones that are closest to home for me 
are the ones where you you meet people who have paid attention to changes in their environment mm. uh, over a long period of time, and they say, "Wow, this isn't how it was twenty years ago, thirty mm. years ago." Mm. Uh, I'm struck by folks in in my neighborhood who pay attention to invasive species, and they recognize that because of changing climate, certain species have been able to take over and, and thrive. Species like Phragmites, which is, is brought over in different ways, but lines the landscape of, of roadways and highways and pushes out all the cattails. Mm. And different bird species that may not come back to an area you know the the whole journey of the monarch butterfly. I know that's been pollinators have been a significant a significant species in sort of the the conservation movement as as we've seen the decline of milkweed and and therefore the decline of the monarch the beautiful monarch butterfly. And then we've seen a regeneration as well as people plant uh, milkweed in their gardens and they say, "Wow." I have a monarch in my garden now. So I think rather than sort of the big macro climate change stories that are real and are global, I think starting with understanding the changes in your own backyard or your own neighborhood or your own community helps yeah. you better understand the the lake bed that's been dried up somewhere in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. You can you can start to make connections with those stories when you when you start to pay attention and see uh, stories in your own neighborhood one sorry one final story there that, that I'll wrap with there's a fairly well-known political figure in the US and I'm not going to share his name or story or sorry his name uh, because I didn't ask him to share the story but um, I'm sure you could find it out there somewhere he's he has made it public he he witnessed firsthand the ocean acidification uh, on one of his scuba diving trips with his son and saw how the coral reefs were dying from ocean acidification. And he, you know, he, he tells the story of coming out of the water after that scuba dive and feeling like life was completely different. He had this mm. conversion mm. moment and he had to do something because he had an experience and I think that's really what I, through the narrative and through the stories, that's what I'm trying to encourage your listeners around. There's a fantastic quote by um, an American uh, academic, Stephen Baumer Predaker, and uh, we quote this one often at Arasha. We care for only what we love. We love only what we know, and we truly know only what we experience. Mm. If we do not know our place, Know it more than a passing in a passing cursory way, know it intimately and personally, then we are destined to use and abuse it. Mm. That is powerful. That's beautiful. And and two words, one from that quote and one that, that you used earlier, stand out to me. And I'm cheating here because we've had conversations before, Luke, but before when you were talking about you use the word wow, that someone could say, wow, you know, I'm noticing these changes around me um, in a positive sense. And then you also use the word experience. And that to me 
speaks of the concept of wonder, which Mm. Arasha, in my opinion, has just does a masterful job of cultivating wonder. And and I'm hoping that you can elaborate a little bit more on, on what I'm getting at there with that word. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, and I think there's a direct connection with what we just talked about around narrative. Part of that wow experience comes from a story, whether it's your story in a particular place or the story of the, the piece of creation that you're connected to. So we love wonder because it takes you to the right brain. It takes you to the creative, emotional uh, brain and out of the logical and into this sort of mysterious, beautiful, memory-enhancing place. And you engage your senses when you engage creation. And it ties into your experience of of the world in a way that lasts forever. Uh, We all have those stories uh, from childhood, the places that we remember, the the way the air smelt when the grass was cut, Mm -hmm. um, the way the forest smelt, the, the sound of the trickle in the river that we would go down to and explore and see the water striders. The the gift of wonder is is that it sticks in your imagination, and it leaves you with a a posture of gratitude and connection to place. And if you follow that logic further, and you stick with the wonder, you you begin to get into things that that root you and ground you and give you a sense of place. You know, things like understanding our connection with the, the carrot that, that is harvested from the ground and the, the amazing gratitude for that gift of creation because we've, we've smelt a fresh carrot that's come out of the ground. And tasted it, it with just a little bit of dirt on it. <laughs> that's right. That's that right. It goes deep. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and I think that when you have those those experiences of wonder, y- you can't help but see creation as subject instead of object. It mm-hmm. it becomes living and breathing and you are you are intimately connected to it and therefore you you find meaning and place and you're grounded literally because of that gift of wonder. And I don't think that's coincidence in, in God's creation. I think God's given us that as, as image bearers, as creative, creative beings uh, made in his image to, to be able to experience the gifts mm. of creation in that way. I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. Luke, if I can just thank you and thank Arasha, I I have deep gratitude for this concept of wonder. I actually visited one of the the BC locations about two years ago when our first grandchild was about two years old. And we went as a Food for the Hungry staff. We had a, a wonderful opportunity to be there, to experience the work of Arasha. And I, I remember that is what stuck for me was this concept of wonder 
And it genuinely, I believe God genuinely used that to transform my approach and my relationship with our little grandson, because now we have adventures. He's four now. We have adventures. We look for bugs. (laughs) We turn over rocks to see what's there. We planted a little garden last year so that he could experience that carrot and pull it out of the dirt and eat it. And so I, I can't say enough what transformative power there is when we start with wonder and awe at God's creation. Amen. Be- beautifully said, Shalane. You're doing the work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living it. I'm, I'm appreciating it. But I know there's more to do than that. Yeah, in, indeed. Indeed. But you're, you're absolutely right. It, isn't it beautiful, the trickle effect and, and the transformation that you speak of that that's happened in your relationship with, with a loved one because of, because of that moment of wonder. And, and I think that that, that does spark, spark more transformation in your world and, and the broader world. So it's, yeah, it's just so encouraging mm-hmm. to hear about that, uh, that moment. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you are listening today, if you have any questions that are coming up, we encourage all of our listeners to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org to continue this conversation. And Luke, I imagine that one of the questions or a question that might come up with our listeners is, so what do I actually do with this? You know, this is a, f- a phenomenal conversation about God's heart for creation and our, our role as stewards of that creation. And this is so rich and meaty, but we also want to break this down into what are those next steps that I can do in order to actually live this out? Well, it- as you would assume, we get asked that question quite often. What do we do? And it, not always, but it comes from a place of, sometimes it can come from a place of uh, fear and anxiety because these global problems around food and hunger and, and healthy air and food security, they seem huge. And it is tough to know where to start. And in in this genre of work, there there has been a tendency to to feel some guilt and shame that we're not doing enough. You know, we're we we live in in a highly consumeristic culture, and and we feel that guilt and shame. And so, you know, rather than start with a list of to-dos and and sort of a checklist our posture has always been to start by building relationship and come around the table around a meal hmm. find find community and start sharing what's what's going on in your neighborhood around these questions and these issues so so that's why we that's why our community practices are very much tied to the table and everybody mm. being welcome to the table and this deep sense of hospitality. Uh, it's critical to the work we do because we, we don't want people to, to enter this huge conversation 
being overwhelmed and feeling like they can't mm. do anything. So it starts at the table. That's where yeah. the practical uh, elements start. And then I would say making it, so that's communal, making it individual. I think we really encourage, and this might be surprising, I'm not sure to, to some listeners, we try to encourage spiritual disciplines mm. as a, a next point of entry. Maybe that's meditation for you. Maybe that's fasting. Maybe that's prayer. Maybe that's contemplation. Maybe it's Sabbath keeping. Those are the places where God meets you and you sense a deep conviction for the place where your gifts and the world's needs come together. Hmm. And and you get a sense of vocation rather than a checklist of, of the million things that you could, should, need to do right now, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you actually get a calling and an invitation by practicing spiritual discipline. And it's it's a welcome and hospitable invitation, and it's not a, a rebuking or a mm-hmm. commanding. And I think that that's something that is easily missed in the culture, but is so mm-hmm. foundational, not only for giving you that calling, but also for uh, helping you bridge that divide between the physical material world and the spiritual world a place that in North America, we we need help bridging that divide and that gap and is related Mm -hmm. to our poverty. So Mm -hmm. I'd encourage people to start there. Two more, I I think from there, there's so many good places and people to experience this kind of way. So I think you need to find your community, find a place, um, whether it's the local naturalist group, a birding group, uh, you participate in a cleanup event, you come to Arasha, whether it's in Hamilton, Winnipeg, or Surrey, British Columbia, or around the world at the 21 Arasha sites. I think that experience then leads you to start examining your choices, your behavior, your life, you know, and that becomes the end of the journey rather than the beginning. So there's there's hopefully just a few things for your listeners. We're happy to be in relationship with folks across the country and talk this out a little bit. Um, we can make ourselves available and um, we wish you the best in that journey as well. It's it's a tough one, but it's a good one. Mm-hmm. I, I really do appreciate, Luke, the approach you take in, in a non-shaming, blaming way, but that invitation, that call that God places on our hearts to to be part of this this journey. Quickly, as we wrap up here, two things I want to just ask you. Do you have any books that you can recommend for our listeners and for Eric and me as well? And where can our listeners find you? Yeah, thanks, Shine. Uh, so in, in prepping for this podcast, which was kind of a new thing for me, um, I, I scoured my local Hamilton Public Library and typed in a whole bunch of things. And so I've got a few books from that search, and then I've got a few books from from the sort of Arasha Library of books. Um, mm-hmm. The best one that came out of that uh, Hamilton Public Library search was called uh, Kiss the Ground. And the, the subtitle of that one is How the Food You Eat Can Reverse Climate Change, Heal Your Body, 
and ultimately save our world. That's a pretty big claim. (laughs) That's pretty big. (laughs) So hopefully that cliffhanger is enough for you to take a look at that one. (laughs) I skimmed it and found some really good things in it. The other one I had mentioned was the George Marshall one. Uh, Don't don't even think about it. Um, That's the book on climate change. And then the two that are sort of more closely connected to Arasha and, and creation care. One is a book that our founder, our co-founder, Leah Costomo, wrote called Planted. Uh, and the subtitle mm. of that one is A Story of Creation, Calling, and Community. Mm-hmm. And um, that gives you uh, a sort of story-based narrative approach to how Arasha grew and formed in Canada. And it's it's littered with amazing stories and um, and inspiration and and sort of whimsical, witty comedy as well throughout. It's a um, great book. It's a great book. And then the final one, I I just sort of refreshed myself on a book called Beyond Stewardship, which is a compilation from our friends across the border at Calvin College in Michigan. It's edited by David uh, Warners and Matthew Kuypers-Hune. I hope I pronounced that right. And uh, it's a compilation of essays around some of the thinking that was done 20 years ago around creation care and the evolution that's happened. And I think it's really good and it's really aligned with who Arasha is. And so I'd, I'd encourage your readers to connect with that one, mostly because it's new it's cutting edge and um, it's kind of, it's well-rounded um, when it comes to thinking about faith and creation care and conservation. Great. And in case you didn't, as you're listening, jot all of those things down, we will have all of Luke's recommended reads on our website at fhcanada.org. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute privilege to to learn from and with you. Thank you for making those recommendations for resources as well as steps that our listeners can take. Luke, I echo Eric's thanks. Appreciate you being here and especially for the reminder to not lose sight of wonder and awe at God's creation. So thank you for that and thank you for all of the other wisdom you've shared with us today. Well, it's my pleasure to both of you. Thanks for the opportunity to share these things, Eric and Shalane. And I do hope we get a chance to do it face-to-face soon. And uh, <laughs> That would be great. Hopefully. We'll be thinking about all your listeners as they uh, find ways to come back around the table in their communities. To explore what your next steps could be, or to find out more about Arasha and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.